This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 93rd edition of Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio. My show was my show was formerly known as Sports and Stuff, but we're going to try Sports Untold for a while. Today is my special guest again for the fourth time is retired longtime Seattle Times sports columnist Steve Kelly. It's always fun to chat with Steve. Steve worked for the Seattle Times for many years, worked at the Oregonian in Portland. He's a real community guy, basketball coach, tutor, theater support, the Shakespeare Theater in Seattle. Well, Steve, again, I appreciate coming back for a fourth time. The last time you were on my show was a little over a year ago. So thanks for coming back on Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio. Well, I... Uh... I felt this was really important because I got to clear up uh, uh, a widely held misnomer. Um, people think that I covered the uh, 1917 Seattle Metropolitan Stanley Cup team. <laughs> and I was working a desk shift that night, so I wasn't able to actually uh, cover the team. But well, I want to clear that up. Maybe in spirit you were there. You know, these people believe in reincarnation and all that. So, so, but. <laughs> Um, hey, Steve, uh, we're going to have fun. I'm going to go into a bunch of topics today. You know, I asked you last year who the living sports figure would be that you'd want to have an interview or conversation with. You gave a great answer, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I'm not sure, though, I asked you the second question when I interviewed you again last year. Who's a deceased sports figure in history you would have loved to have interviewed or had a conversation with? Well, the first guy that comes to mind is Hank, Hank Aaron. Um, just because, you know, to, to be Hank Aaron and to be a superstar in Atlanta, Georgia in the 1970s, it had to take in, just incredible courage, incredible focus. I mean, everything that you want in an athlete and everything you want in a human being. And I think he, he embodied that. And I would like to talk to him, you know, about, where that came from, kind of like what I would have talked about with, with Kareem, is, um, you know, where that comes from. Does it come from your family? Does it come from your life experiences? And uh, how do you do it? How do you, how do you feel all that hatred, which he obviously did, and just overcome it and, and you know, find the, the positivity in life? I mean, that, I think, I don't, all the stories I've read about him, I've never really seen him him dis- discuss that, and I think that'd be really uh, really enlightening and 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 educational. Absolutely, I would have loved to have chatted with Hank Aaron, another recently deceased pro baseball player that would have been really fascinating to chat with is Dick Allen. Oh my gosh! Well, he was one of my heroes. You know, I grew up in Philadelphia, right? And I mean, he. God bless the Philly fan, but he he was treated like Hank Aaron. He he was treated just mercilessly, and you know, in his last days before he went to the White Sox, um, he was scratching out on the dirt how many more days were left in the season. Um, he I remember one night he scratched out boo, and of course the fans, <laughs> you know, ever obedient they did boo. Um, uh, it was so awful. And then he came back when the Phillies were um, were winning, and it's like all the ugliness disappeared, and he, he left Philadelphia as a hero, which he should have. And, uh, you know, he's swung a 41-ounce bat. I mean, that's unheard of. But um, just a great athlete. And, and as more stories were written about him later, a great human being. 
I had a law professor on my show, Steve, a little over a year ago, a guy named Mitch Nathanson, who teaches at Villanova. And Mitch is, is a biographer of Dick Allen. And, and Mitch's uh-huh. take on Dick Allen is that he was the first African-American superstar who wanted to be treated like a superstar. I mean, that's, that's a good point. And he was really, I'm, I'm trying to think back, you know, the Phillies were the last team to um, to hire a, a black players, way behind. And they were probably the worst group of people, worst group of players uh, toward Jackie Robinson. I mean, the things they said from the dugout uh, when Jackie Robinson first came up are were hideous. And now along comes uh, Dick Allen, his name it was Richie Allen at the time, and I mean I think a lot of people didn't know what to make of him. To be honest with you, he would have been a really interesting guy to talk to. Let, let them both let them both rest in peace, uh, Hank Aaron and 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 Richard Richie Allen. Uh, Steve, there was the first visit by a Super Bowl champion, the White House, recently, <laughs> where the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers visited President Biden to celebrate their 2021 Super Bowl victory. Um, do you think pro players should, when they win championships, should go to the White House no matter who the president is? Or do you think there's a Trump exception for whether players should participate in championship White House ceremonies? Well, I mean, let's face it, there's Trump exceptions for everything. <laughs> you know, it's almost like he should be deleted um, from the, you know, when you, I remember a, a, a placemat at uh, Five Spot, one of the restaurants I used to go to, and it was uh, pictures of all the presidents, and it was before Trump, and I'm thinking, maybe Trump shouldn't have been on that list. But, um, so I think it was a Trump exception, but yeah, I mean, even in Haiti right now, people are um, memorializing this crooked president who was assassinated, but they're memorializing him because he was the president. And, you know, we've got to get back to uh, respecting institutions and respecting uh, maybe not uh, believing the same politics as as the people who are elected, but at least respecting the fact that they were elected and that they believe what they're telling us. I don't think Trump did, but, you know, uh, George Bush, Ronald Reagan, all the other Republicans, um, they had firmly held beliefs, I think. And it, whether you liked Bush's policies, and I certainly didn't, and, you know, we wouldn't have been in Iraq, I don't think, with without him. But... Um, respect the office so yeah i think all the athletes should go um and if they don't like i remember um jake arietta didn't go see obama and uh i can't think of the, the goaltender from uh the bruins he didn't go when they won um but if you're gonna if you're not gonna go um you, you should be you should have the courage of your convictions and tell us exactly why you don't want to go and offer some solutions or some suggestions instead of just saying I'm not going because I don't like it so you kind of have a little nuanced view of that that players should generally go to the White House but they're not going to go they, they they should probably outline their reasons is that kind of the Steve Kelly doctrine on on a, 
White, White <laughs> yeah. House well, player visits. Or... Well, I mean, I think that's why you know Steph Curry did that when 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 he didn't want to go see um, Obama. Steve Kerr, his coach, um, made some comments about not only we're not I'm not going, we're not going, but this is why. And I, I think that's you know you at least owe the office that much. Hey, you know who did not make a White House visit? Marshawn Lynch did not meet Obama and join the Seahawks when, uh, when the Seahawks won the uh, twenty was it twenty fourteen Super Bowl. So, d- does Marshawn owe an explanation why he didn't go visit Obama after the Seahawks at the Seahawks Super Bowl White House party? I think he does. I think he did. Yeah. Um, and you know, let me say that Marshawn Lynch has done all kinds of good things in uh, underserved communities in, in the Bay Area especially. And uh, so I give him a little bit of a pass on that. But, yeah, he should have. And my guess is he just didn't want to dress up or something. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, something. So he just didn't want to be bothered with it. I don't think it had anything to do politically. But, yeah, it would have been nice to know exactly why he didn't go. Yeah, and it was an, an African-American athlete did not uh, visit – the African-American, first African-American president. That's a little, little interesting side note there as well. Yeah, yeah. And and a guy who does so much in the African-American community, so much good. You would think he would not only want to go, but maybe like pull Obama aside and say, hey, I'm here to help. What can I do? Well, as Woody Allen once said, 80% of life is just showing up. So all you have to do is show up at times. But yeah. uh, Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports Untold in the 93rd edition with uh, the great Steve Kelly, retired to see all times columnist. You know, there was an exchange that Tom Brady had with Biden that I thought was kind of funny. Tell me if you thought it was funny. He he joked that 40% of the people still think the Bucks did not win the Super Bowl. And he also made a joke that people call him Sleepy Tom. And Biden came back with a remark that the older guy can still win. Did you get kind of a kick out of that little exchange uh, Brady yeah, and Biden yeah, had? That, and, and I think that's what it's all about. To me, it made Tom Brady seem more human. Sometimes, you know, it's like um, it's hard to figure him out. You know, he's, he's so he's so guarded about a lot of things. And it was it was great to see that moment. I mean, even this is this is really bringing it down but you know he's doing that uh, subway commercial now and he wouldn't eat a subway sub if if uh you know if he was dying of hunger <laughs> but he admits that on in the commercial you know he says ah this is just a commercial and so I, that's another example of all of a sudden him seeming a lot more human and it, it also makes the president seem like an average joe which i think you know joe biden is but it just, you know, it, it just takes, you know, here's a guy, Tom Brady, who has supported Trump, at least, you know, nominally. And uh, he's he's joking with the, the, the current president who, you know, has no love lost for Trump. It's, it, I, I thought that was a great moment. And, I did, too. I thought it was a I thought it was a fun light exchange. It kind of kind of had a little Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel moment to it in a way. You know, it was kind of it was kind of a fun little moment. Um yeah, and, Go ahead. It, it, it makes me think that, uh, you know, Tom Brady has another career if he wants it after, if 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 he ever reco- retires. Yeah, it was. It was uh, I, I got a, I think they got a kick out exchange as well. Uh, Steve, the Mariners, I think, are about three games out of the wild card spot as we record this interview on July 21st of 2021. 
What is your take with what the Mariners should do at the trading deadline? Do you think they should be sellers or buyers or do kind of a hybrid of both or do nothing? I think they should do nothing. Um, they, they've come too far to throw it all away on what might be a one-game postseason. And even that's a long shot because the teams that they're behind are really good. I think they're, all the teams that are behind – are possible championship contenders. Um, so it just seems like they're right on the cusp of having all these players we've been hearing about for several years explode at once. And why give that up for a one-game crapshoot? I asked um, Kevin Shockey the same question. Let me ask you a recycled question. I asked Shockey this question recently. If the Mariners were offered two prospects for Hanniger, would you do it? Two good prospects? I'm always a little leery of prospects, especially in baseball. It's, you know, it's so hard to predict. Um, but, yeah, I think I might. I think I might. Um, yep. You know, I, I think if, if you don't do it this month, you won't do it ever. Uh, you know, I think his Hanniger's trade value will, will go down drastically. Um, yeah, I think I would do it. Hanniger um, gets so seems to get hurt a little more often than some other players too. Well, yeah, yeah, that's that's always a, a. But here's the other thing: if you're building a championship team and you have all this youth, you need guys like Hanniger, and even though he's sitting two sixteen, Kyle Seager, you need guys like that in the clubhouse and on the field um, guys who have been around a little bit guys who know, you know, know the score. Um, so you can't just go all youth. And um, I don't know that it would, it would depend who the prospects are. And like I said, I'm a little nervous about prospects. Points are valid. DePoto has his hands full what to do the next 10 days or so before the July 30th trading deadline, I believe is, is the correct date. Hey, Steve, you know, this, when I interviewed you last time, I was actually going through some questions I didn't get in last year. So I got you back and I can, I can oh, no. try to get you some of the questions <laughs> I didn't get in last time. All right. So the late players union chief of baseball, Marvin Meller, he thought the baseball labor struggle was still a classic labor management struggle. Miller, Miller was a who's now in the Hall of Fame, by the way, but he, he had a very old school view of what a union struggle and a labor management battle is. Despite the players being um, these huge average salaries, many of them are going to be millionaires for life, do you still agree with Marvin Miller years later that the baseball players' issues with management are still a classic labor management struggle? Um, you know, that's a question I've never really pondered. Um, I've always been on players' sides in, in labor disputes because uh, <laughs> they're the game. And they're the money makers. Um, they make the money for, they make the TV money, they make the box office money. Um, they are the game. And to treat them like, um, I mean, without, you know, when, when, I think when Marvin Miller became the, the uh, players rep, I think the minimum salary was $7,500. And I mean, obviously that's, in different dollars, but right. it still, it still was unbelievably low, and you were stuck at whatever team you played for, 
And, um, you know, it took Marvin Miller and Kurt Flood and some really courageous people to change that um, dynamic. And so it is, it is classic in a lot of ways because, you know, um, the owners always, always are the bad guys. And they're looking, they're looking to maximize their profit. And in some cases, I mean, look at Seattle um, over the last 20 years, maximize their profits without improving the, the product on the field. And I mean, that's so typical of a lot of, uh, of uh, problems in, in management and labor. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of uh, fumbling around here because I've never really thought of it. But, yeah, I think it is, it is classic because, you know, throw away the, the, the dollar signs. Um, these players wouldn't be making this kind of money if they didn't have a strong union. And that's why, the, you know, every time the collective bargaining agreement comes up, it seems like it's they're one click away from, from a strike. Because the owners don't want to, they they haven't wanted to give in on any of this, and they've been forced to because of the strength of the union. You would agree, though, Steve. Take. What do you, what do you think about that? What do I think about it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it has has some, and I did a paper in college on the Baseball Players Association, where I had I did a paper on an example of where assertive trade unionism has helped. Um, workers, and I used the Players Association as, as an example many years ago. So, no, I think there's there's examples of it being a classic labor management struggle. But at the same time, Steve, these are not like the service workers or the, the garment workers unions. We're not, you know, the baseball players are oftentimes dealing with issues about host hotel stays and first-class flights and all that. So, I mean, there ha there's some aspects of it that isn't really a classic labor struggle. Would you agree with that point? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... It... <laughs> And that's because they're making so much money now that they want all of these perks. But, um, you know, perks are part of a uh, demands of a, of, a, of a union force. And, I mean, this, is, this, from a professional standpoint, what I don't like about it is it seems like the players are getting farther and farther remue, uh, removed from the fans and from the media. Um, and, and some of that is, is union driven where they don't have to, they don't have to answer questions as often. Sure. Um, and now, now they're all doing it by zoom. And I guarantee you players are loving that and management is loving that because players don't have to talk as much to the media, which also means they're not talking to the fans. I think long term, it's going to, it's really going to hurt baseball. So that that kind of thing, access, and um, yeah, access is going to be a, is becoming a real problem, and I think part of that is union driven. I'll throw out one more point on this issue, Steve, is that there's pretty much no doubt the owners have not been transparent in terms of opening up their books for decades. Right. Right. Interesting perspectives. Paul Schneiderman, again, host of Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio on the 93rd edition with uh, Steve Kelly. Hey, Steve, what do you think of this this extra innings change going on in baseball uh, right now? Do you like the uh, idea of these players starting on second base? I hate it. It's not <laughs> baseball. I mean, it, it's, it's like the seven-inning doubleheaders. That's great in high school, you know. 
play. That's not baseball. You play a game, you know, I mean, I think managers love the seven-inning game, doubleheader, because it doesn't tax their bullpen quite as badly. And if you have a bad bullpen, like my beloved Phillies, if you could play three innings, it would be great. But, um, yeah, this starting on second base, what, come on. What is that's a COVID thing? Well, we don't want them out on the field as long because somebody might get sick. I mean, I don't understand the logic of it for one thing, but it's 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 trashy baseball, and um, it, it's you know there's man on second, you sacrifice him to third, it's a sacrifice fly, and we win the game. I mean that that that's that's not right. You don't like the idea of baseball evolving more to modern times and speeding up the games. Well, there's ways to do it, and that's not one of them. I mean, I, I'm i all for – I love, like, Marco Gonzalez. I love catch the ball, throw the ball, get it back on the catcher, throw it again, throw it again, throw it again. Gucci's a lot like that. Um, I like that sort of speed it up. I hate I, – I, I, I like the rule where you have to face three batters now when you come in as a relief pitcher. I think that speeds the game up. This lefty-righty – mumbo jumbo that's that's i've never quite understood Mm -hmm. um and all the moves that are made because of analytics slows the game down i think a little bit but but um putting a guy on second base that makes the game over faster it doesn't speed up the game while it's being played and you know if it's a 16 inning game what's wrong with that You you get an extra you get an extra seven eight nine innings uh for your dollar i'm all for that you have some strong opinions on that extra innings change going on right now. Hey, Steve, is that a permanent thing, or is this is it more of a 2021 season thing? This, this. I, I, well, Manfred said at the All Star game that it's uh, that it's probably not coming back. Oh, okay. Seven inning double, seven inning double hitter, headers won't be coming back, and the guy on second to start a extra inning isn't going to happen. Okay, okay, I may have missed those comments by by the commissioner. All right, Steve, you coached, uh, you worked as an assistant coach at Liberty, my alma mater, Roosevelt. You worked at Bush this season. I have some nieces who go to Bush. Uh, tell us about going from Roosevelt, I think it's a 4A school, to Bush, which I think is, what, a Class B school? Tell us about that transition as an assistant high school basketball coach. Yeah, it's, it's a 1A school now. 1A, okay. Um, um, well, it was <laughs> – I don't know where to begin. It was eye-opening. Um, I, um, Roosevelt's a 3A school. 3A, okay. And, okay. and, and – um, Basketball, I would say, I mean, it's not uh, Duke, but basketball is more important in that league, the Metro League, and in 3A basketball in general. Sure. Um, and my impression of uh, difference between Bush and Roosevelt is that the kids at Roosevelt were really serious about getting better. And what I mean by that is they played in the summer, they did uh, – weight training in, in the off season. Um, they played, they went to camps. They, they worked hard at getting better at Bush. Um, it's more of an extracurricular activity. It's more like the, being part of the chess club or something like that. It wasn't taken as seriously. And, uh, um, it was harder to, it was way harder to coach because, you didn't have that burning desire to get better. And I'll, I'll give you one example. Um, we had a, 
I, I will say that the Bush kids this year might have been the smartest group of players I've, I've ever taught or ever coached. Well, um, just in general. But um, we had a, a, a big man who just missed layup after layup, and he wasn't using the glass. He was just sort of trying to flip it up over the rim. And, you know, knowing the game as, as well as I do, and, you know, people talk about me in the same breath with Krzyzewski and, and Wooden. Of course, of course. <laughs> like, like Dershowitz, so, right? You know, yeah. he, there you go. Yeah. But I, I, uh, I explained to him that if you use the glass, you're going to make more layups. And I, I, his, his answer was, why? And... You know, I said, well, look, I can give you the physics, the, you know, the explanation about physics, but it's just a basketball move. You use the glass on a layup. And he said, well, I think you're just making fun of me because I missed a layup. And I said, well, you've missed more than one. And, <laughs> you know, if you weren't, if you were making your layups, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. So it was like that. They, 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 they challenged us more. Uh, tried to challenge us more about when we tried to correct them. And it was almost like, well, I actually said to him sometimes, now listen, this is a, this is an observation, not a criticism. <laughs> right, but right. If you, but if you do it this way, you'll get better. And, you know, I, I had, it, it just seemed like at Roosevelt and at Liberty both, when I explained something or when I told them what they were doing wrong and how to correct it, they listened and they, they did it. It was a little harder at Bush. Putting aside some of those issues you had at Bush with the kids listening, do you think there's something kind of more pure and innocent with kids viewing a sport as an extracurricular activity rather than going on a 12-month mission to get better by going to all these camps and thinking some of these kids think they're on a college or pro track or not really on that track? Do, do you think in some respects the Bush extracurricular philosophy may, may be more pure and wholesome in some ways? No. <laughs> no, I don't. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to be on the chess team, if you're going to be on the choir, if you're going to be whatever it is you want to be, if you're part of the, the jazz band, then you've got to devote, I think, you got to take it seriously and you got to devote the time to get better, especially when kids at other schools in the same programs are working their tails off. And, you know, if you work hard at basketball, you'll see the results. And it, I, I just, I've, I've never understood, and, you know, we've had players at all different schools um, who just didn't care that much. And it, I, I don't know why you would do something if you don't care or if you're just out to have you know, have some laughs and giggles. I, I, it doesn't. I get your points. Well, those sense. are fair points. At the same time, I, I think some of the excess, excessive competition at the high school, junior high, elementary school levels can maybe be a little misguided. But I, 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 well, I get your points. No, I mean, I know what you're saying. But, and I, I would agree that maybe um, competitive, being competitive for 12 months when you're 14 years old or even younger now. That, that can be a bit much, and there, and there has to be a, a balance in your life, sure. for sure. But, you know, you should try to be as good as you can be, and you do that by going to camps, by playing in the summer, maybe against better guys than you would play in during your league 
season. Um, you know, it's I'm you know I'm not saying ten hours a day. <laughs> I'm saying you know three or in the summer three or four nights a week, days a week, maybe a couple games. If you're really good and you get to be on a travel squad, who wouldn't want to do that? Who wouldn't want to go spend the summer traveling around the country playing against the best players in the country and 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 um, you know measuring yourself on how you play against them. I mean, to me, that's anything you do, you should try to be really good at, I think. Sure. A little more extra effort. I, I get your points. Are you going to be back at Bush next season? No. No. You had your run um, there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to be or if I'm going to be, but um, um, yeah, I mean, I just, it wasn't, um, it didn't work. I blame a lot of it on COVID and on this, you know, we had a truncated season. We only played 10 games. Right. Um, our first, we had one practice before our first game, one practice with a full squad uh, before our first game. So the whole thing was kind of screwed up that way. Um, but no, I'm, I, I, I kind of wish I'd stayed at Roosevelt. All right. Well, let's, I, may go, I may go back. May go if, back. If, okay. Well, keep, keep, keep me informed. Buddy. Keep us informed. Yeah. Hey, Stephen, another basketball subject, is the Milwaukee Bucks winning their second NBA championship? I think their last one was in 1971, and I and I don't follow the NBA as much as I used to. I don't even know who some of the top players are anymore. I, mean, I know Giannis is, but I don't. I just don't follow it as much as I did when we had a team here. Um, did you think well, Giannis it was, for one thing? Yeah, he's good. Um, did you did you think it was kind of refreshing in a way that there were two kind of out of box teams that made the NBA Finals this year, Milwaukee and Phoenix? don't think abc thought that but yeah i i (laughs) I thought it was great and i thought the the last uh let's see games four five and six were really good games and um there's so many i mean Giannis was was in a class by himself the last three games um but you saw devin booker emerge as a star you saw you saw what a really good team looked like with actually with both of these teams the way the supporting roles Sporting players played their roles like Jay Crowder and P.J. Tucker. Um, um, Bobby Portis came off the bench. He's been a kind of a troubled um, handful to coach, but he he was he was surrounded by really good guys, and it kind of brought out the best in him. So I mean, I love the series. I wish it had gone nine games, um, but I, from a marketing standpoint, I mean, although the ratings were down for one thing, at least early on in the series and um you know abc i mean they would like the knicks and the lakers maybe throw in the celtics a few times and uh, right uh the clippers maybe they, they they want the big the big market teams and uh they sure didn't get it this year kind of refreshing to to, to see some some new teams in, in, the, in the nba finals paul Schneider again on sports untold 93 edition with, with steve kelly hey steve can i don't let me just say, can i say, say yeah. one more thing about it too you know, whenever, uh, like when the Sonics were moving, uh, there were politicians saying that that, that sports um, provide no um, cultural value. Well, you know, look at Milwaukee this this during these playoffs, where 60,000 people are outside the building watching it on a big screen and going nuts. I mean, that, to me, that's pretty much a good thing. I don't know, you know, I'm sure there were some weird things going on in that crowd, but um, as a whole, I think that's stuff that really brings the city together. 
and you know I hope the Kraken Kraken brings that here. Obviously, the Seahawks have and the Mariners have at times, but um, we you know I think any big city needs that kind of energy. I will tell you, Steve, this is my kind of uh, angry side. When I watch NBA games occasionally, I still feel like the kid who went to class and got good grades and got wrongfully kicked out of the school. But, you know, when I turn on an <laughs> NBA game, I feel like I, like as a fan, I was kicked out of it. But anyhow. Well, no, I, I agree with you. And, it, and it, uh, every time I see Adam Silver, who's supposed to be on our side, <clears throat> supposed to be on our side, every time I see him, I just, it's like, when are you going to help us? When are you going to stop giving us lip service and start doing something? And, uh, you know, they need the money now after after um, COVID. And what's what's a better way to raise money than to bring in a couple expansion teams? Bring, bring in Vegas and Seattle and let's get going. Well, let me transition to that topic. Um, I was going to ask you about the arena issue and the, and the possibility of getting the NBA back. So let me let me. Throw something out to you, Steve. So in 2016, the Seattle City Council voted 5-4 to four to not give Chris Hansen a street vacation to try to get a soda arena going. Many Seattle fans were very upset with the vote. Do you think, though, that in a weird roundabout way, that street vacation denial um, was a catalyst to getting key arena remodel and getting hockey here and maybe increasing the chances of getting the NBA back? Do you think five years later, maybe that denial vote could have been, could have helped us get an, could help us get an NBA team back? Well, in a weird way. Yeah. Well, I think now, yeah. Um, And all indications are this new arena is exactly what we should have gotten back when key arena was remodeled. Um, It sounds like it's a, you know, sounds like they've done it right um but if the street vacation vote guaranteed that we weren't going to get a team anytime soon and that's obviously been the case um and i don't i still don't think we're going to get i mean i there's no reason why we can't have a team in two years except that we won't and i don't know why i don't i don't get that but we have the all of the excuses the NBA had for not bringing a team here, they're all gone now. We have everything they could they could ask for. And um, <laughs> I don't know what they're waiting for. And I feel the same way as you do. I mean, I love basketball. I love basketball. And I, like, I really like the NBA. But I'm still really mad at them. And it's hard to follow the league when you don't have a team in your city you don't have a team to root for you don't have a personal passion for a certain team putting on my legal hat steve i'm looking for a remedy from the nba so (laughs) hey um um, the kraken and and there could be a remedy we'll see how the nba comes back to seattle because of the pandemic that they they may want to add get some big expansion fees um I got kind of a positive question for you, Steve. You and I have our cynical sides on stuff. Have the Kraken done anything wrong in their franchise launch at all, the expansion draft going on today? I remember a conversation I had with Todd Lywicki when he was helping to put together the Sounders. I was in his office, and he was telling me, you know, we're going to make this fan-friendly. We're going we're gonna to bring the city into our into our offices basically and and have them um 
share in our successes and share in our in our seasons. And I'm thinking, oh no, they're going to have mascots running around <laughs> and you know weird things on the scoreboard. And that's not what he was talking about. You know, he was talking about um, focusing on the team and making you feel as a fan a uh, part of that team. And, you know, the Sounders have done it perfectly. And I think Todd is using that same model um, with the Kraken. And, yeah, I don't know. They haven't done anything wrong yet. But the other side of it is they haven't played any games. They haven't drafted anybody yet. We're still a few hours away from that. Um, so the, the nitty-gritty still has, <clears throat> still has to be done. And, again, that was part of what, what you know, the Sounders have made the playoffs every year. Um you got to win, and I, I'll be real interested to see who they get today, um, and I'll be interested to see where they go from here. I'm, I'm all for it. I, I used to have season tickets a long time ago uh, with the early Flyers. I, I love hockey, and I've, I've really lost touch with, with the NHL, so it'll, it'll be fun to bring it back. One other thing I'd like to say is sure. I, can't afford, I can't afford tickets. I can't go, you know, I told, I, I want to have a lunch with Todd, and I'm going to bring a sign that says, we'll work for tickets. Um, you know, I, I, the NHL is the most expensive ticket in sports. Very expensive, very, very expensive seats, no doubt about it. Um, Steve, I saw something that Vegas, as of a couple weeks ago, has the Kraken, who as of this moment, maybe have one or two players have a hundred to one odds to win the Stanley cup next season. And the Mariners have like 150 to one odds to win the world series. And the Mariners obviously have an active roster. So there's that twist, isn't there? But, um, well, I think they're just going based on what the Las Vegas franchise did the first year, I guess. I mean, I don't know what else it would be. Yeah, maybe maybe they're impressed with the with the uh, with the whole the whole structure of the Kraken are doing. By the way, on a side note with the Kraken, Steve, I think they even did the right thing settling that lawsuit with the Kraken bar in the U District. Get rid of the problem. I think that's another example of the Kraken being smart. You know, so I and you look no, at what the, what they've done in totality. They've kind of been smart PR people all the way around. Todd Todd Wiki is one of the kind of. Um, unsung geniuses of professional sports in this country i think i, I mean he's just he he knows the markets um he knows this the games he's you know he's a he was very he knew he, he knew the nfl he learned mls he's been in hockey for his whole life really when he went to tampa bay i remember talking to him he was so excited because he got to work with stevie eiserman one of the greats you know hall of fame hockey players and he couldn't wait to you know to be in an office talking hockey and making hockey moves with Stevie Eiserman. So and that's kind of that's kind of his he does that. I mean he gets involved and he knows what he's talking about. Very smart sports guys, Lowicky. Steve, you got time for a few more questions? I'll let you go. Sure. Great. Hey, uh Summer Olympics, um, do you think they should be going forward this year with all the COVID problems? No. I mean it's absurd. And, you know, Tokyo's in the, I think the whole country actually is in the throes of their worst spike in, in six months. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a joke. And for the athletes, um, it's going to be like they're in prison. I mean, they go, they go to the venue, 
they come back to their hotel. They go to the venue, they come back. They don't, there's no, there's no Olympic feeling. There's no, part of being an Olympian is just the whole experience of being in the village and mingling with other athletes from other countries. Um, there's none of that. And the comp there's nobody in the stands. I was watching uh, uh, two minutes of a soccer game this morning, and it's, it's the Olympics, and there's nobody in the stands. And, it, you know, during the Olympics, you get sold-out crowds for field hockey and archery and, you know, not, not these Olympics. I, I just think it's you're, and you're jeopardizing the health of so many people, um, you know, millions of people, really. And, um, and again, it's another almighty dollar kind of uh, decision. Would you have delayed them till 2022 or 2023? No, I would just, well, I mean, that would be kind of weird because you would have two Olympics like on the heels of each other. It's right. almost like that now. But, um, I mean, I have all the, all the sympathy in the world for the athletes who didn't get to go last year. But, um, I mean, we're jeopardizing their health. And, you know, if I were an Olympian, I would be there for sure. I wouldn't miss the opportunity. But it's not going to be the same. And, you know, I just, I just pray that um, a lot of people don't get sick. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Steve, I had a sports economist on my show a couple of years ago. Interesting guy, Andrew Zimbalis. And he's written a lot oh, of yeah. books on sports. And Zimbalis believes the Olympics as an institution are just really screwed up. He believes that these cities and countries trying to get the, the Summer Olympics to their, their countries end up having big financial problems. So Zimpolis has made that point. He also believes that Los Angeles should be the permanent home of the Summer Olympics. They have the infrastructure. They have facilities. What do you think is Zimbalis's points on, on the whole Olympics situation? Um, I agree completely. I agree completely. It's, it's such a TV event now that, you know, if you had a permanent home for it, that'd be, you know, who cares? You're watching it on TV. Um, so I, I think I, I, I agree completely with everything that he said. And I, you know, I'm a big fan of his anyway. But, um, yeah, um, the Olympics has to really, I think, sit down and, ask itself, what is this now? What, what does it become? And, you know, I, I mean, I, this is, this is my personal belief. I don't get what surfing and skateboarding and there's too many events now. And again, that's another TV thing. Well, we got to fill up 24 hours, almost 24 hours a day of programming. So, you know, let's bring it all in. I kind of like having the having the more out of the box sports, but everybody has their their opinions on that. Steve, well, I like out, I like out of box sports, but I yeah. like you know archery and and things like that. Not not I don't know. I'm gotcha. not a big X game guy. I guess. Gotcha. Let me end with 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 this subject, Steve. Uh, Washington basketball, Washington men's basketball, UW men's football. With Washington basketball, uh, what's your prediction? Does Mike Hopkins survive for at least another year or two? Uh, my question about UW football, why do you think UW football is losing so many in-state recruits right now? Um, to your the latter question, um, oh, I don't know, the SEC, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, you know there's, there's better conferences and there's better, again, TV, TV, TV. There's way more TV exposure and way more glamour 
in other conferences right now than the Pac-12. And the Pac-12's down, and it's, I don't know, it's just the prestige isn't there right now. So, um, I mean, I don't like it. I, you know, I love going to Husky Stadium. I love um, big games at Husky Stadium. And it's, you know, something's, it's not the same right now. But um, I, I like Jimmy Lake, and I, I think he's a good, he's a very good recruiter. And it just, it's going to take way more. Larry Scott's out as commissioner. I think that's a great thing. And I think it just takes more creativity. I mean, the, the Pac-12, to me, has kind of rested on its laurels for way too long. And its laurels are like, what, 10, 12 years old now. Um, as for Mike Hopkins, I like him a lot. And I wish him the best. And, you know, it's another going to Alaska Airlines Arena with 10,000 people in there is really cool. And, you know, two years ago, there was, they played that great game against Gonzaga there. They had a game where um, Pritchard hit a three to beat them uh, against Oregon. Um, really good games and packed houses and a lot of energy. And um, the sports scene needs that around here. But I don't – I'm not real confident that, that they're going to do it this year. And I think this is a make-or-break year for Mike. His contract is through 2025, I believe, Coach Hopkins' oh, contract. I yeah, I have to see what happens there. Well, Steve, always fun to chat. Look forward to seeing you again soon, and uh, I appreciate coming to my radio show. You have an open invitation anytime. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Steve.